Welcome to FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines. FitSpeak, the podcast, is available on Podbean, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and our website, which is www.fitspeak.com. We're also alive and kicking it on Instagram. We have pictures of all things triathlon and fitness related. Check it out. Tell us what you think. We are at FitSpeak. And we're also Facebook friendly. The latest links to the coolest things in multi-sport, plus conversations to make you think about why you try. It's FitSpeak on Facebook. FitSpeak is brought to you by Wenting Cycling Mission, and here is your Wenting's Word of the Week. It is Jasper. Mention that word to Bruce or any one of the staff members at Wenting's and you'll win a prize. It's just that easy. Once again, your Wenting's Word of the Week is Jasper. And we're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. With spring already here, it's time to build that fitness in the great outdoors. Whether you're hitting the trails, the roads, or the lakes to get your fix, TriJoy can help. We can maximize your training time with structured and motivating sessions that'll get you to the finish line with a smile on your face. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. Well, although there hasn't been a lot of race action here in Canada in the worlds of triathlon and cycling, there has been some in America and a lot over in Europe. This week, we reconnect with F2C and Wadi Inc. Ambassador Roy Macbeth to get his take on the latest racing action. After Roy, Fitzby co-hosts Mikey Ross and Kevin Watt stop by for another chat fest at the round table. But to kick things off, we have part two of our interview with Olympic swimmer Brent Hayden. We'll be talking about his short-lived retirement from swimming, his big comeback, and his goal to improve the swimming all over the world. 45 minutes of hydrodynamic fit speak begins right now. And then you went into retirement for a while. Yeah. What, what was life like? What was that first year like coming off the high of the Olympics and changing lifestyles? Yeah, I mean, I'll admit it was a struggle. Um, a lot of athletes um, struggle emotionally when they retire. Um, mostly it's because they're, um, you know, they have an identity crisis uh -huh. because they don't know who they are without the athlete. Like when they're not an athlete, they don't know who they are. Yeah. Um, I got married a week after the Olympics, like flew straight from London to Lebanon and got married uh, just outside of Beirut, mm -hmm. right? Where my, uh, my wife is from there. So like, I was definitely ready for the next stage of my life, but that I, I definitely didn't struggle with identity because, um, because I love photography and, you know, it allowed me to explore that other aspect of me. You know, I got to, um, you know, explore the, the artist in me and it was definitely, Photography is definitely something that I used um, to kind of bring balance to my athlete. Um, yeah, the yin yang identity. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mm. Right. So sometimes, like when I when I'd be struggling the most with my mental health, or just even just like you know a tough few weeks of training, right? It takes a toll on you, and just you know, I would just take my camera and just go find a beach somewhere, or go find a trail, or something. And it's like it could just bring me back to center. So so I had that. Um, but what I was really struggling with was when you take out um, not just the, I want to say like the goal setting process, because we are training for something. And so driven, so driven. Right? Yeah. Right. Now, suddenly you take that away 
Um, but you're also taking away um, that daily dose of, um, of dopamine. You're mm -hmm. taking away the daily dose of endorphins yeah. uh, from training. Your brain chemistry changes, right? And so I was struggling with um, mood swings and for, for no reason whatsoever. And uh, my wife would tell you, like, um, she was definitely uh, having a hard time with that as well. So I remember she told me, I was like, you better figure, figure yeah. something out. Um, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> no. So, um, so what I found actually um, saved me was just going to the gym. Mm -hmm. I just got a gym membership and I'd go to the gym, you know, four or five times a week and I would just lift weights oh, okay. because, um, because with weight training, you, you kind of get a little bit of a sense of that, um, uh, goal setting and progress, uh -huh. right. You know, hitting a new bench, right. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, a new, you know, new, uh, best on the chin ups or, you know, mm -hmm. like, so you can always hit these little goals or even sometimes just going to the gym on a day you don't feel like going is kind mm -hmm. of feels like a bit of an accomplishment, but it also allow it gives you a way to kind of, get your get any kind of frustration you've got <laughs> yes going like to kind of like let it out um but also it, it gets the endorphins and the dopamine uh, going in, in your brain again so that kind of um, recalibrated my brain chemistry and i started to feel a little bit more normal again mm -hmm. right so pumping iron so pumping iron like i i, I fell in love with the gym i, I like I, I still, uh, I still love the gym uh, mm -hmm. as well, and I actually, I, I believe that's actually one of the reasons why this comeback was actually even possible, because I got a lot stronger than I ever was before, right? And now just we're just figuring out how to translate that into speed. Obviously, uh -huh. yes, because the the energy's there, the the drive is still there older and wiser right and yeah. now to be able to and 15 channel. pounds of muscle that i didn't have before yeah amazing so um tell us about some of the fun you've had along the way um in particular I, i'd like to kind of and i know some athletes don't like doing this we're gonna try it so what are the sorts of things that you used to really like as far as swim workouts in the past that you don't like so much right now or is there anything um I like that my workouts aren't as long as they used to be. That's one of the things that we've had to change. So like I remember before, like, you know, a normal workout before was like 5k, uh, you know, 60, 6,500 meters was not out of the ordinary, mm. you know, doing sets like, you know, 2100s or 10, 200s, right? Like mm -hmm. that kind of stuff was, was very normal. My workouts now are probably average about 3,500 meters. Wow. And instead of swimming nine or 10 times a week, I'm only swimming five times a week with uh, three weight sessions, mm -hmm. right? So I've got fewer pool sessions and one extra weight session, right? When going from uh, two weights to now three weights. Mm -hmm. um, so like, I definitely, um, I have the men, uh, like I have the kind of sort of like mentality that I, I kind of like hitting things um, hard and fast, mm -hmm. like short, but intense. Like I want to give it everything I got mm -hmm. for a small window of time, right? Which mm -hmm. is why I guess I'm such a good sprinter. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't like those long sort of drawn out sort mm -hmm. of, sort of workouts. Um, so right? 500 meter repeats, not your cup of tea anymore. <laughs> no, no, like I, I love doing like, like short 25 meter sprints, like over and over and over oh, again. Okay. Um, right. Th things like that, mm -hmm. you know, got 50 here and there, but, uh, I mean, obviously you still have to do longer stuff just to kind of get that, um, that sort of that foundation, like aerobic foundation. But when I, when I see like fast 25s or even fi fast to 15s, just working on breakout stuff, 
um, that kind of stuff sort of gets gets me excited. Yeah. So now you're also making the transition. You're now, let's talk about Tokyo for a minute. So um, I did a series with some of the Canadian triathlon members and young people, you know, early 20s. And what was impressive about these folks was, and for some of them, it was going to be their first Olympics. They took it so, so wonderfully in stride. It's like, okay, well, it's not this year. It'll probably be next year, but it didn't really seem to ruffle their feathers. And I thought, my goodness, you know, here's a three-year build. And if you make the team great, and then you go all in for the Olympic year. But they took it so much in stride. Now, you're on the other end of the equation. You're, you know, the, the senior statesman of the swim team. Um, do you think it was easier for you or harder for you having Tokyo canceled in last summer? I, I think it was a little bit easier. Um, I mean, it, it's... If I had known this was going to happen, I I might have. I don't know if I would have ever actually done the comeback because like that's another variable I have to think about. Think about because I was thinking like, well, Tokyo is only one year away. Let's let's just do this, mm. and if it works, if it works out, it great. If not, oh, then I know then I might answer right because um, I hate it. once I get the what if question <laughs> in my head, like I can't I can't live with that question in my head. I have to have an answer to it. <laughs> but I, I knew that giving myself less than a year to try to make a comeback for the Olympics was already going to be a tough hill to climb. The way I approached it was this gives me another year to mm. fine tune things that I might not have had time to fine tune. Yeah. Right. And another year to get my fitness you know, up. And because I was coming back with the idea that I'd be focusing on just the 50, but now that extra year that has given me more time to also work on the hundred mm -hmm. um, as well, especially, um, you know, even if I don't swim it individually, like we got, like we can probably put together four good guys for the relay. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's another thing that this has kind of given me, uh, given me time for, but champions know, always know how to adapt right to any situation. Mm -hmm. Right. They'll always try to find, um, I want to say trick, but, they, they have a way of telling themselves, mm. well, this is, this is actually great because now I can. Right. Yeah. So like, like for example, um, it reminds me of the, the Commonwealth games in, in 2010 when I won the two gold medals and set games records in both of them. I was the first human in history to break 40 seconds uh, after they banned the body suits. All right. Um, I was sick. Mm. Like I was really sick. I got the deli belly. Uh -huh. Right. So I was, I was losing, I was losing weight like crazy. Huh. And I, my uh, team physiologist, she required us all to weigh in every single day. Mm -hmm. So we'd have to show up to the pool and we like, we had to scale back in the villages and she'd ask us to, you know, record our weight. And every time I got to the pool, she'd say, Hey Brent, uh, how, what do you weigh today? I'm like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> right. I just told her that every single day. I just told her, like, I, I forgot. Mm -hmm. Um, it was because like, I didn't really want to know how much weight I was losing. I already knew I was losing weight. Uh -huh. So I didn't, I didn't want to start freaking myself out when I saw that number get too low. But what I, what I did do was, um, I just told myself that, you know, since I, or if I am losing weight, that just means I'm going to be able to, uh, float better. <laughs> I just told myself I'm going to have less weight to pull, uh, pull down the pool. Yeah. Right. And I, I was, I'll, the, I think the nicest way I can say this is that right before the race, I was losing weight in the bathroom. Oh That's my what goodness. I was doing. Oh. And I went straight from the bathroom uh, to the ready room and had to 
get up on the blocks and uh, and do the race. But that's what I was telling myself before mm-hmm. going on the blocks. And yeah, got that game's record, gold yeah. medal, and uh, you know made history. Yeah, the power of positive self delusion. Can we patent yeah. that or something? Yeah. Speaking of patenting, um, you've uh, decided to jump in fully into swim coaching and that's a new exciting chapter of your life and we're going to talk about that for a little bit so tell us about the project you're working on what's it called who's it for yeah so we uh we have this online uh swim program called swimming secrets and uh specifically the course is freestyle mastery so we wanted to be able to launch all the all the sports or sorry all the strokes um but we got a little delayed on being able to put out the other ones because during the filming of the program, that's when I decided that I come out of retirement okay, because yeah. <laughs> that's actually um, that's actually what forced me to get back into the water um, hmm. to was to was to create this course and that actually kind of sparked the whole idea of doing this combat because huh. filming this course um, made me realize how amazing I actually felt in the water because this is we had actually started we've been fine tuning this program actually for about a decade. Wow. We okay. started um, running it with uh, local swim clubs and then we started uh, taking it across the country um, to other clubs. Like, uh, like I think the furthest away we um, had gone was um, uh, Happy Valley Goose Bay in Labrador. That's about right? as far as you can like go. Two, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was almost like, yeah, like a 24 hour flight, like, like air travel day. And like, and we're still in the same country. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, we did that like like two or three years in, in a row. And like, it was like, absolutely fantastic. We absolutely loved doing it. And my wife was a competitive swimmer as well. And she used to work at one of the top private swim schools, um, helped develop like, all the like, upper level of curriculum. So like, we kind of like took her, um, her learn to swim methodology and applied it to my um, high performance technique. Mm-hmm. Right. So we really married uh, those, those two together. And I think that's really what made it special. And we would always compare the swimmers at the start. Um, we'd measure their, um, their stroke counts Mm -hmm. at the start of the clinic. And then we'd come back around at the end and we had like almost a hundred percent success rate of everybody just dropping their stroke counts. Like if you can even go the same time with a fewer strokes, like, isn't that like, that's, that's already better because you're going to be doing it. Like you're just, your efficiency is, is going to skyrocket. And then you can, you can transfer that and get that time down uh, later on down the road. Um, but we, we would actually have, uh, swimmers, actually getting best times uh, sometimes doing these with fewer strokes. Like it was, it was really, really cool, but we just weren't reaching enough people. Right. Because mm-hmm. the thing when you do it this way, like you can't always be running these programs um, all the time and it requires you traveling to all these places yeah. and only working with such a small group of people. So like we've, we wanted to be able to, I'm going to say, don't want to make this sound cheesy, but it's like, what if we could help like a million swimmers? let's just create this program online. Now we had actually been looking around. Um, we, we tried to like find a place in Vancouver to do it. And we, we just couldn't do it. You just like with privacy laws, with cameras, oh, on pool right. and yeah. that, right. And just like, you, you can, you can rent lanes, but you still can't have a camera. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, it was like impossible to find a place um, suitable to actually, um, to actually do it here. So we were in Lebanon really um, again in 2019 uh-huh. so my wife uh, and i and we brought our mom along <laughs> because we, we were actually um exploring the possibility of actually opening a swim school um in beirut it's actually one of uh, my wife's um, lifelong dreams was to open Ooh. um like an olympic training center there to give their swimmers um more opportunity 
Um, but while we were there, we decided like, well, let's actually find a pool here and see if see if we could film it. So I hopped onto Google Maps uh-huh. and I'm look and I started looking for blue rectangles <laughs> close to where we were living, right on the satellite view. So I'm looking around all these uh, blue rectangles on Google Maps, and you'd be surprised at how many Olympic-sized pools they have in um, in Lebanon. Like it's insane, like way more than we have here. Really? Because wow. all the all the hotels want to be able to brag that they have an Olympic-sized pool. That's one of the draws, right? Okay. They, a lot of times they wouldn't even have lane rope stuff. Right? They wouldn't even have length swimming. <laughs> Like they wouldn't have like something just be an open pool. I was like, but they get to say they have an Olympic size. Right. Pool, right. Looks good on the brochure. Um, exactly. But um, there was this, uh, this country club nearby. So we were living in a town called Zulkamaspe, which was about um, in Beirut traffic, about an hour North. Right. But you know, really it's probably about 20 minutes. If oh. there was no traffic. And so this country club was called the Jaita country club. Now I remember actually going to the Jaita grotto nearby um, back in 2012 when we were there for our wedding. It's just stunning. Like this underwater mm. um, river. You could take a boat and go through the cave. Neat. Like it's, it's, it's stunning. Mm. Um, absolutely stunning. Definitely look it up. But I reached out to the country club and the owner um, wrote back to me and he thought I was pulling his leg because <laughs> I was like, you know, Hey, I'm an Olympian. Uh, I'm living nearby right now. Uh, can we come and train in your pool? And right. And he was like, are you, are you, are you, are you really like, are you for real like, man like, right like mm-hmm. okay well i'm gonna have to meet you in person then yeah. so we showed up and, he, and it was just like wow you are real <laughs> <laughs> right like i actually i had my medal with me right because oh, you just never always, know what, ah, those things come you, 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 gotta travel with it. You, yeah. you just never know like who you're gonna meet mm-hmm. right um so i had my medal with me and it was just like wow this is uh what an opportunity so he he allowed us to basically use his pool he got us um memberships at the country club uh for the for the summer um we actually worked out um a deal through the country club so we actually did private lessons uh, with their with some of their club members which like honestly was so much fun like we, we met like some really great kids um through this so how's um because um, your wife is lebanese how are you with yeah. the language are they oh, speaking they speak French English. there? Oh, they're, they're, they're English there. They're yeah, all... they speak English. And, okay. Yeah, they, they, they're a lot of them speak three languages, right, English, yeah. uh, French, and, and the Lebanese dialect of, of Arabic. Mm-hmm. Right. So they were all speaking English. And I mean, a lot of times, you know, they speak be speaking English with a French accent. <laughs> right. But like, their English is actually very good, hmm. um, which I, I think a lot of people don't really realize that, um, you know, about the Middle East, especially Lebanon, you know, right. having such a, a strong French accent. Yes. Uh, history right like the bakeries there are, like are amazing ah. right uh, the, yeah if you want some good bread go to go to lebanon they're mm. the best bakeries but yeah like we almost had like free reign be, you know from early in the morning until about 12 o'clock to just show up and just do what we needed to do nice so we hired a camera guy you know we got some drones and we show up and we start filming it and then we're like okay well we need to get more footage. So we just kept showing up and just filming a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and wow. a little bit more. Eventually we, we got it all together. And then we'd have days where I remember like, they'd be like packing food and showing up mm-hmm. in the studio and sitting there and work, putting it all together um, with the videographer. Yeah, it was, it was a huge, huge um, project, especially driving through uh, Beirut traffic uh, mm-hmm. to get to the studio and, and, uh, and back and forth. But, Worse than Vancouver yeah. at rush hour? Oh, it's, well, let's put it this way. 
lines on the road don't mean anything. <laughs> like they, they don't mean anything. A lot of times uh, there are sections of highways that don't even have lines. Oh, who cares, right? Wow. Who cares, uh-huh. right? Like you, like I would see a car flying past me on one side and then next thing you know, he's just drifting right across the lanes, <laughs> no blinker. And you, and you drive by and you look over it. He's got his head down and he's on the cell phone. And cause he's just like, he just knows that everyone's going to move out of his way anyways. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? Wow. Right. Or you'd be driving or like, you know, there's a car driving in the, the wrong direction because they missed their exit. So they got to go back. So they're not just facing, like they're driving in reverse in the wrong direction. Whoa. Yeah. It, it was, it was pretty scary at times. It's definitely not the worst place I've ever driven. <laughs> um, right. I, th- I think, Egypt was probably the craziest because in Lebanon, you can kind of get a sense of how everybody drives. There's sort of these, there, there's still a flow to things. You can kind mm-hmm. of, you can kind of predict uh, other driver behaviors in Egypt. It's kind of like, it was sort of more like a free for all. Okay. Um, but, but, but that was in 2012. And the last I've heard is that uh, Egypt, especially Cairo has definitely, uh, definitely improved. So I'm, um, I'll have to go back there and, uh, and, and see for myself. But, uh, but yeah. So I guess the trek from Mission to Maple Ridge on the low heat highway at seven in the morning, not quite as stressful as, as Egypt. Oh, <laughs> God, no. Um, I, no, it, it, it gave me like, I could be in the, the worst rush hour here now. Yeah. And like, I'm just, I'm just totally relaxed. Yeah. I'm like, like, I remember my dad picking me up from the airport. Um, he picked me up from the airport. My, um, this is a, this would be a whole other story, but my wife and her mom weren't able to come back with us because um, our original flight got canceled. I made to get booked on other flights, and we were bringing back a cat that we rescued from the street <laughs> and all stuff. And it was cheaper for my wife and her mom to go back to go spend um, some time in Egypt and me to just come straight back home. Especially since I came out of retirement, mm. I had to come back and start training. Yeah. So there's me. Um, I got food poisoning the night oh. before. So there's me trying to bring this cat back. Oh. <laughs> Myself and I'm like I feel so sick, right? Well, but that's when that's dad, when the metal um, came in handy, right? You whip that out, right? Fast lane through. <laughs> oh, it was uh, it was it, there was some pretty funny uh, funny story. Like the cat actually got out of the bag on one of the flights, mm. um, and I, like, there's me running up and down the aisles trying to find <laughs> the cat. Um, but uh, I remember like my dad for um, apologizing for the for the um, the rush hour that we were stuck in. And I was like. <laughs> Everyone's staying in their lane. This yeah. is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no wildlife, no livestock. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just like, this is this is chill right mm-hmm. now. So going back to the swim program. So what is the official name so our listeners can can check this out? Yeah, so we call it Swimming Secrets. Swimming Secrets, and yeah, so just www.swimmingsecrets.com has one word. So this is for folks who want to get better at the freestyle. Um, yeah. Tell us, tell us a few secrets that you can share about Swimming Secrets. The program itself, some of your special approaches, whatever you're comfortable well, yeah. with, Brent. Well, I think what really makes it special is that like literally anybody can do this. This isn't necessarily geared specifically towards swimmers. Like this can be for complete beginners. Um, I mean, I would say as long as you're comfortable in the water, if you're not comfortable yeah. in the water, um, you can still do it, but make sure you have somebody there with you. Right. So, but as long as you're totally comfortable, um, in the water, um, like you can, you can definitely do this program. So like, like I said, beginners or even a seasoned veteran who just wants to actually just fine tune their stroke and just find a little bit of room for improvement. Um, this is, this is great. And one of the, I think one of the biggest, um, features or selling points of this is that we've had so many swimmers actually come to us and say that their, um, their swimmer shoulder is gone. Ah. Right. Cause we get so many swimmers. Um, and like, I actually had terrible tendonitis uh, from swimmer shoulder. Um, 
that was even back in summer club uh, mm. still because you know we're all being taught that that really high elbow recovery right keeping the hand close to the body i remember coaches like just drilling a zipper drill zipper drill um, yes. into us mm -hmm. no it's like it's like seriously one of the worst drills for your shoulders mm. right unless you are um, a very experienced swimmer um and you've got hypermobile uh, mm. shoulders yeah and you can still keep your shoulder in a neutral position then yeah zipper drill might work for you because that but that's for you it, it for the majority of swimmers mm. they don't have that range of motion and when, when the first thing they they're going to do um you know listeners can just do this even if they're just sitting down right now is uh -huh. what does your shoulder do when you try to draw your hand up close to your body right it lifts. Yeah, there right? it goes. Your, your shoulder elevates, and yeah. you can kind of feel it kind of start to stick forward right there, mm -hmm. right? You got a little bit of an anterior rotation right there. So if you're rotating that over and over and over again, you're you create an impingement right there. That's going to start to wear out, right? And you're going to start to experience uh, shoulder pain. So our approach is we, we use more of an open arm uh, technique. The main focus, though, is like we want to take the elbow out of the equation completely, right? It's almost irrelevant what the elbow is doing our focus is more on making sure that shoulder stays in a neutral position right you want to keep that space between your neck and your shoulder right if you're if someone takes a picture of you during a breath uh -huh. and you've got that and you got your shoulder touching your jawline i'm sorry you're going to have shoulder problems mm. right you want to you want to keep as much space in there um, as possible open arm technique is adaptable to all styles of swimming so like if you're okay. a sprinter you're probably mm. going to be um like a very long open arm, almost straight. I don't like saying straight because you never you never want to actually lock that elbow out, mm. right? You want to be long but not straight. So if you're look if you um, know swimmers like uh, Form Manadu, um, Bruno Fratus, Ben Proud, right? Caleb Dressel, like they all use a real um, real long open arm style uh, technique. But then like a longer distance swimmer. Um, I'm, I would be talking more like the pool swimmers, mm -hmm. they'll have like, um, they'll let their forearm kind of hang more naturally, right? So it still has the illusion of a high elbow freestyle, but they're just letting their forearm hang there. Their shoulder is still, it should still be in a neutral position, right? The other thing that might change is the timing of the recovery arm to the pole, right? Like a long distance swimmer might have more of like a three quarter catch up, mm -hmm. uh, you know, right? So their hand is almost touching the water before they start the next pole. Uh, whereas a sprinter, they're probably going to start that catch sometime after the recovery arm actually passes their head or passes their shoulder. Mm -hmm. so, and so then open, then in open water, depending on the water conditions, right. Right, you can open your arms up more to to get, you know get that coverage over um, over the waves. Last thing you want to be doing, which is what a lot of swimmers um, are taught in the high elbow recovery, mm -hmm. then is entering close to the head. Yes. Right to to spear the water. Mm -hmm. But now that you've entered close ahead, well, you got to get into extension. You got to reach out in front of you still, or you got to get long. So you're going to be pushing your arm under the surface of the water. Well, that act of pushing your hand forward under the surface creates friction. That's actually slowing you down. So the open arm technique, we actually cover more area over the water. You're still going to enter fingertips first, right? Mm -hmm. Your elbow will still be um, slightly elevated, but it's more of a long arch rather than a sharp V. So it sounds like we got some homework to do uh, for the FitSpeak listeners. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be, for the next foreseeable future, and we're going to put that kind of in question marks, I'm going to be uh, Brent's guinea pig going through the different yeah. stages. <laughs> I am a uh, dyed-in-the-wool, as we were talking off micro, uh, microphone hydro sloth. So right now, if, if 
I can kick well with my fins. I can do about a 150 hundred meters and, and you're doing it in what, 46 seconds. I got lots to learn. Uh, nothing oh, 47 to seconds, hopefully. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hopefully wow. on this comeback, I can get down to 47. This, this is, this is going to be exciting. So uh, what can I look forward to in my first workout? Or is it, am I going to be doing a bunch of drills or what are, what, what's, it, what's the first yeah, 15 like, minutes going to look like? Other than swearing, I mean, self-loathing, uh, <laughs> well, it, it, it's we really broke it down into eight modules. So okay. it's like each module focuses on one specific aspect. It's like we're really building it up, like step by step from the very foundation. And well, what is the what is the foundation of freestyle? Buoyancy, breath control, breath. Okay. Right. So so that's what we're actually going to work on. So we're actually going to work on um, on you finding that comfort level in the water to actually find your body's natural buoyancy. So one of the drills we do is we actually do um, where you curl up into a ball, or you, you breathe in nice and deep, get all the air into the bottom of your lungs, you curl into a ball, and you feel that buoyancy, right? And then the next step would then be slowly blowing your bubbles out. Mm -hmm. So you actually have to, you actually get a sense of how much air you actually have to lose before your body starts to lose buoyancy. Mm. So once you know how much um, air you can actually breathe out, and still float, um, that's going to be, translate into better swimming down the road, especially as you're, you know, you're breathing in and out, you know, yeah. as you exert yourself uh, harder. Because the whole point of uh, swimming is you don't want to be fighting to stay on the surface. Yeah. You want to just be moving down the pool. And so in order to do that, you have to have that buoyancy um, aspect um, figured out first. And we have it. It's just we need to be able to have it up here to be able to access it, to control the breathing, to be able to start moving with relaxation and confidence. Well, yeah. before we wrap things up, we're just going to have some fun here. I mean, you're, we're going to take you back to your roots um, in mission. And one of the questions, oh, man. one okay. of the questions I wanted to ask was, when was the last time you had a Brent Hayden burger at the 14th Avenue pub? That was actually somewhat, um, I mean, maybe a couple years ago now. Um, I was having a, it was my second uh, solo exhibition art show oh, okay. at, the, um, at, the Mission, at the Mission Art Gallery down on uh, First Avenue. And after that show, we all went up to the 14th Avenue pub mm -hmm. and it was like everybody there had to order the Brent Hayden Cod Burger. <laughs> Of course, it has to be a cod burger, right? Yeah. Like it has to be has to be a fish. Absolutely. Um, um, like I'll admit, it is it is a tasty burger. <laughs> it, it is it is really good. And um, um, if it wasn't for COVID, I'm sure I would have been back there already um, having another one because I've I've made plans with so many people yeah. to uh, to meet me up to meet up with me there and uh, and have another one. And uh, um, the owner, um, his name is Attila. Yes. Um, yeah, he was uh, he was super excited. So of course, you know, again, I had my medal with me, you know, um, not because we we're going there, but because I was doing the art show, and you know, people like people come out to um, to see that. Like, it, it's a draw for the art show for sure. Hopefully, I'll get to the point where people are coming just for the art. Um, <laughs> but you you know what I mean. You know, I'm not I'm not putting my art, my art down at all. But you know, it's just uh, it, it brings another element because obviously it makes. Most artists don't have Olympic medals. That's right. Um, yeah, there is actually a program called Art of the Olympians, but that's a whole other story. But yeah, we all went. We all went there, and so because I had my medal, and you know, he recognized mm -hmm. me. You know, I got a picture 
with my brain and Codberger and, <laughs> and uh, I can't remember if he was holding or wearing the metal, but yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. So let's make the transition. We're still talking food here. So we're going from the Codberger, the Brent Hayden burger at the 14th Avenue pub in mission to soup. So on your bio, it says you have yeah. a nickname. It is soup. What's, what's the story with that? Yeah. So the, I actually got that nickname um, soup because of my Superman tattoo. Oh, right? okay. Yeah. So the reason why I got it, uh, a lot of people don't know, is it was um, it was a tradition uh, at the time for uh, swimmers from the Chilliwack Spartans. If they continue swimming, um, you know, after high school and you know, going to university and, and that, they would actually like they actually get a Superman tattoo because that was the logo. That's ah, the Chilliwack Spartans uh, logo, gotcha. right? So, so, so I got that tattooed, and um, people started calling me um, Superman. Mm. Um, on the team and you know I hear it from uh, from swim meets and stuff and I remember I was at um, I was in Toronto and I was just walking um, through the pool and there's a swimmer I God, I cannot remember his name he was from Calgary and he just said hey soup ha huh. there it is and so that was the first time I had heard soup instead of, instead of Superman uh-huh. and it just and just like a little it just kind of like little light bulb went off in my head. I was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if I spelled it like S-O-U-P, like the food, right? So I yeah. you know, disassociated myself from me called Superman because mm. I, I didn't like people calling me Superman because um, I I don't like, I don't have an ego like that. And it, it, it kind of made me uncomfortable. Okay. Right? Yeah. I didn't want, it's a, right? it's a heavy so, burden. It's a heavy burden, Superman. But yeah. soup, I mean, that's that's approachable, right? I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm goofy. I'm, I'm a little weird and silly, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, it, it seemed a little more fitting for my personality. Yeah. yeah so, like, anytime, like, you know, I'd be like, you know, if I was like playing online video games uh-huh. or something like that, I'd, uh-huh. always, I'd always, you know, put, man, my name was, uh, is that a soup? I mean, I, I went by major, major, major for a while from, you know, from Cash 22, but yeah, it was mostly, uh, mostly soup. And huh. eventually, um, my other teammates just kind of, uh, it kind of picked up on it. And it's, it basically, it, it stuck. Okay. I don't have the Superman tattoo anymore though. I got it lasered off. <laughs> lasered off? Oh, what's going yeah, to replace but, it? Or is it just going to be fresh Brent skin? I think it's just, I think I'll probably just keep it fresh skin. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those things where, aesthetically it just didn't really look good okay all right okay. right um because like you know I, I got that back in high school and mm-hmm. just like eventually i, I think it's just like I just, I just didn't really like it there's i even got the one like on the inside of my arm like this is all gone now oh like, you know you, you see it on the in the yes, leisure center absolutely yeah yeah it, it's gone oh wow they're gonna have right, to they're gonna gone. have to change the mural I know, like I'll ask. I, I know, I know the guy who painted it. Um, amazing artist, um, Pascal Peltier, and I'm even having my uh, my Maple Leaf and my Olympic rings uh, lasered off on oh. my back um, as well. I mean, th- they all have different reasons. Yeah. Um, the one on my back is I was just never really happy with the way the the leaf turned out. It was mm. kind of misshapen, and it, it just didn't. I was like, so I was just never happy with it. And then the Olympic rings was just like. Well, when they're on my back, I I, I can't I can't see it. <laughs> right? I, I, I kind of regretted putting them back there because, ah. like, I want it. Like, I want to be able to see it and be like and be proud of that accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So, so I decided to get the the new rings on my forearm. Oh, they're here. okay. Yes. Right. Uh huh. Right? And with the uh, with the Roman numerals, starting from my arm here, with yes, the Roman numerals of a... the three Olympics I went to. Uh huh. Right. Twenty eight, twenty nine, and uh, and thirty. So now, like, I, I I look at that and like. I, 
you know, each one of those Roman numerals, like, you know, each Olympics I went to has its own life lessons that I, that I learned. Right. Yeah. Um, and I can be quite, quite proud of that. So that's more like kind of removing that one because I mm -hmm. replaced it with, um, with this one. Aha. Uh -huh. So partly aesthetic and partly. And I got more, I got more ink I want to, I want to get to. So I don't know. What kind of music do you listen to to get fired up before? Let's say you're doing a, a big race. Any music uh, come to mind that gets you excited? Um, I've, I've been going, yeah, I've been going through this um, this phase recently, listening to um, Scandinavian metal. It's been, <laughs> it's 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 funny because it's like it has such like I absolutely love it. So like, there's a band. Um, so the three bands I've been uh, really enjoying right now are. Um, Battle Beast and then Beast in Black. So you can kind of figure out how I came across those two bands with their names being somewhat similar. Mm. Then there's another one called uh, Dynasty with um, spelled with a Z instead of an S. Like they're they're just fun. They're just full of energy mm. and uh, you know killer vocal. Right? Yeah, that's kind of what I've been mostly listening to. Okay, so some heavy Nordic metal. Um, last question to round it off. Um, Brent, um, you are a human being, part fish, but if you could be 100% pure animal, what animal would you be and tell us why? Oh my gosh, that is a, that is a, that's one of those questions, like, I've definitely heard that question before, but like, I never really come up with an answer. Um, I mean, I, I would think I would probably have to be some kind of a bird, obviously. And like, this is this such a boring answer, but I'd, I'd probably be like, like a bald eagle or something. Just like, you know, just being like, you know, the king of the sky mm -hmm. and just being out there and just soaring. Like that's just gotta be one of the most exhilarating, um, exhilarating feelings ever. Right. So I think, I think that's what I'd want to do that or a dolphin. Dolphin. Yeah. Go, go the other way. And, mm -hmm. uh, um, a dolphin rather than, a shark because I think I just I think dolphins have more fun yeah I was gonna say you know a shark is just a, a dolphin with a bad press agent to myself but you know um, so thank you so much um, we got <laughs> I mean, I, don't get me wrong I, I love sharks but yeah. <laughs> they, they are feared and they are fast but dolphins boy you know more I, I think you'd get a bigger fan club if you were a dolphin uh, thank you so much for taking the time yeah. to uh, fit speak with us uh, I'm looking forward to being uh, a shark a hydro sloth a guinea pig for you in the uh, foreseeable future and uh, best of luck with your training for the rest of the week it's going to be hard for you as well yeah, no, it's awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Yes. And I'm looking forward to following your progress. Yes, I'm looking forward to the, to the process itself. Now on the Zoom line with us from his ever-evolving house is F2C and Wadi Inc. Ambassador, along with local fast guy Roy McBeth. Roy, welcome back to Fitspeak. Uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. It's great to be back. I know we have a lot to get to tonight, including some cycling news, some triathlon racing news, and a quick, perhaps, uh, report on some other stuff. But let's first of all start off with the good news from the Macbeth household. And we understand there's a pretty happy fella with a well-deserved Tron bicycle in the household. Oh, yes. Uh, so, yeah, bike boy, our son Connor, um, yeah, he, I had mentioned him before, and he has taken to the Zwift platform with such eagerness that it's amazing, brings a smile to our face. Um, 
up at six o'clock every Saturday morning doing group rides and joining uh, Mikey and ATC rides every Thursday night and uh, all with the goal of getting that Tron bike. And uh, yeah, he he plugged away until he uh, until he achieved it, and it took him about six months, I think. So pretty impressive goal for sure. Yeah, and to start something and to have that dedication you know anybody can fake it for a few weeks but to see it through <laughs> at the end that that takes you know that's that's grown-up sort of stuff and even some grown-ups don't have that level of dedication and perseverance right yeah oh well, for sure no he's been super excited about it he finished up uh he raced with uh one of the d level teams for the season two of the wtrl and he's super excited about that starting up again uh I think the second week of April, April 6th through May, and uh, there's another eight weeks of racing coming up, so he's super pumped, yeah. Mm -hmm. And how's his dad doing on the racing on Zwift Circuit? Well, not bad. I did I did the same uh, season two as well, and I'll be back for season three. I find it, um, you know, I have uh, reconnected uh, with my triathlon coach, uh, F2C Pro, Jen Annette, mm -hmm. um, for the season uh if you can see me crossing my fingers i you know, see maybe those fingers crossed yeah so i've reconnected with her we're kind of back on sort of the triathlon focused stuff but uh she's very big on having a high intensity session kind of midweek and the tuesday night wtrl with season kind of fits that bill so absolutely I'll be back in april as well yeah. mm -hmm. um have you managed to take that new road bike of yours out on the road yet uh, yes, I have my new uh, 2021 Felt AR disc. Incredibly fast. Yeah, yeah I uh, no little effort. I swear, you get that thing up over 40 kilometers an hour, and it uh, seems to just keep going by itself. Uh -huh. So that's nice. Yeah. Well, looking forward to getting some pictures of it and seeing you actually do some, you know, uh, more prolonged efforts, you know, putting in some big miles and hopefully, you know, that's going to be for some uh, legitimate racing. Uh, Kevin Watt was just talking on a different segment of the program. We're pretty pumped that the Okanagan is going to see a return of the Grand Fondo. They were announcing that Axel Merckx is going to be returning there at a later date. So that's going to be happening, I understand, towards the middle of September. So slowly and surely things are kind of returning to, you know, I don't want to say normal, but closer to normal than what we've been used to. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, of course, Anne and I had moved one of our races, Coeur d'Alene, uh, scheduled for June of 2021 to St. George, which is scheduled for May 1st, uh, which is fast approaching. Mm. Um, and of course, for us here in Canada, you know, it doesn't look like it's probably safe. I can't see us having vaccines by then, travel restrictions, border crossings, quarantines. Um, we've recently reached out and deferred again back to Coeur d'Alene for 2020. Too. right um but yeah in the states all our wadi teammates are gung-ho people are making travel plans i i i'm pretty sure that race is gonna go ahead in st george yeah um but we won't be able to make it safely yet so i'm really hoping by late summer i mean i'm yeah. crossing everything i can that ironman canada will go at the end of august and if not i you know i i do have the 70.3 world's September 18th in St. George. Uh -huh. uh, and then I've also, I deferred another race entry to Indian Wells. Oh, uh, wow. In Palm Springs. Yes. The first week of December. Mm -hmm. So, 
maybe I'll get a couple races in late. Who knows? Yeah. So, and hopefully the training's been going for you, you know, pretty well up until this point. The health is okay. No niggly injuries that are getting in the way. No, things have been uh, going really well. I mean, I've managed to stay pretty steady on my own throughout the winter. Um, and now that I've reconnected with Jen, things, mm. uh, she tends to ramp up the intensity and stuff. Um, but so far, so good. Yeah, hopefully we'll see some more improvements with the run this year and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, it was a big run, uh, big run push for you last year and that showed some some promise. So hopefully you can harvest that fitness and, and see some results on the clock. Um, speaking of clock and racing, they are racing in Europe, uh, the start of spring classics uh, season and some big names going head to head and uh, the results are pretty uh, impressive. Oh, it's, it's, it's been amazing to watch. I mean, I guess not everyone watches four-hour races. Uh, <laughs> I, I really enjoy it. I'll admit I do uh, fast-forward the program through to the climbs where most of the stuff happens or usually to about the last 30K of an event and watch the last, you know, 40 minutes. Um, but some of the spring classics, you know, those one-day hardman events and stuff have been amazing. Stuff like the Strata Bianca, you know, a week or so ago and then, the most recent stage race they have right now is the Adriatico, Torino Adriatico. Yeah. And the names, like I, I really think, and even the announcers are talking, I don't think they've seen this level of cycling competitiveness um, with these young guys coming up ever, probably. With, you know, the, the Strata Bianchi, for instance, there on, I guess it was March 6th, you know, ended up in a breakaway of five mm-hmm. for the finish over the last 30K. And those five consisted of 2019 Tour de France winner, huh. The 2020 Tour de France winner, the ICU cyclocross four-time world champion, <laughs> the ICU cyclocross three-time world champion, and the road race uh, champion, uh, Philippe. Wow. Those five. Like, it was it was amazing to watch. And then, you know, for I'm sure people have maybe seen the posts if they follow any cycling, the, the stats that came out for Matthew Vanderpool, who eventually dropped everyone like they were everyday cyclist with a basket on the front of their bike going <laughs> up the last climb uh, was insane. And the power numbers he put out <clears throat> over four and a half hours in the last 90 minutes and even the last minute were yeah. insane. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing the cream of the crop rising early. I mean, sometimes you don't see the major players emerge until, you know, the race in Italy or, you know, some are holding their cards pretty close to their chest until the tour. But these guys are letting fly. And here it is, you know, the middle of March and they're they're just shining right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some of the big uh, the big tour guys, I mean, uh, Pogaccia, who won the Tour de France last year, you know, it looks like he's going to win the, the Torino Adriatico, the seven-stage race, although I haven't seen the time trial that took place yesterday, so I'm not sure. I'll be okay. watching that uh, when we're off the, off the podcast here. But, um, you know, he's, he's, he'll be one of the big names again in the Tour de France. But these, the, the one-day, two-day races are more of these sort of hard men kind of races. Yeah. And even that Strada Bianchi, you know, there was, I think it was a, about a 200-kilometer stage and over – over 60 kilometers of it was gravel. Oh, wow. Um, so <clears throat> really, you know, favors the sort of hard guys, the Perry Nice, the cobbles, the, mm-hmm. the cyclocross guys, the real all-rounders. So yeah. 
it's, it's fun to watch. Yeah, and speaking of all-rounders, we're going to be having uh, one of those fellas on the podcast. And what I mean by all-rounders, professional cyclist and professional triathlete. We're talking about Australia's Cam Worth. Finally uh, cornered him. Um, he's actually living in Andorra now um, for a multiple of reasons, and we'll find out in the podcast. But not only is he training as if there is going to be a Kona in 2021, but his main goal, as he was saying on the interview, is to be there for his team. Um, he suspects that he will be going to Italy for the Giro and the rest of the season kind of up in the air. So he's, you know, switch hitting between professional triathlete and professional cyclist, and I would say full-time shit disturber. It's a great interview, and we're going to be going to be playing that for the listeners it's going to be uh quite the treat here coming up uh on fitspeak in a couple of weeks so let's make that cool transition into triathlon now and of course the last time we had a race of note to speak of was the big um i suppose pto world championships in florida in december and now a few months after the pto is at it again partnering up with uh challenge miami this time and once again the stars came out to shine including the last kona champion and the king returned to his throne he sure did yeah i mean he he put on a clinic it was fun to watch uh you know, we, uh, being the tri geeks we are, Ann and I, we purchased the, paid our two bucks so we yeah. could purchase and follow along online. And we spent our five and a half hours in front of the TV on Friday morning because I had the day off. Ah. Um, and it was amazing to watch. Yeah. You know, Frodo, uh, Frodino there, he was, uh, bouncing around like a kid in a candy store at the start line there. Like he hadn't raced in 15 months. Yes. You know, he said how nervous he was and he wasn't sure what kind of form he was, but you could tell how excited he was to race. Mm. Um, yeah, he, he sure did uh, let it show that he is, you know, not, not done at uh, turning 40 years old. He's, he's still got it for sure. Yeah, and, you know, it was, uh, as you were saying, off microphone, it wasn't a race course, uh, a cycling race course <clears throat> that favored the power monsters, and we saw that for sure. And one of the biggest power monsters out there, of course, Windsor, Ontario's Lionel Sanders, who did a pretty neat job in, you know, at Channel and Challenge, rather, Miami. But um, he showed his heart and his character and battled through I don't know, what was it, about a three-and-a-half, four-minute deficit off the bike, maybe a bit more than that, to place second overall? I think, well, yeah, <clears throat> Lionel had a, a, a cracker of a day. I thought it was awesome. I mean, I think the biggest thing was to see him out of the water less than two minutes down Yeah, on on Ferdino and Ben Canute, uh, who led out of the water. That was incredible. And I think even for us, you know, we're big Lionel fans. I thought, like, wow, this is it. With his bike, like, no doubt he's coming off the bike in first and, and people will be trying to catch up. They re they really switched up the course from, from Daytona where it was, you know, put your head down and apply constant power for two hours. You know, this one, pardon me, this one they had two pretty sharp uh, corners and almost uh, a 180 corner on the course each lap, which favored guys that, yeah, you can put down the power and hold the power, but you could stay arrow. Mm. Uh, you were comfortable in those corners, maybe break a little later so you're not having to accelerate so hard out the other side. And a guy like Lionel Sanders, he was 150 down out of the swim and like 340 down off the bike. And I don't think anyone saw that because he just was consistently losing time um, to the guys that, you know, are bikers. And, you know, um, Starkovich, who everyone knows he yep. throws it out there. He is, he is the biggest biker out there, but you know, he, 
does a lot of biking. Um, did love the the young fellow from I think it's uh, Norway or the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he's a time trial champion from that country, so he's been on his time trial bike a lot. He didn't come out of his aero bars almost ever that I saw, even through those corners. Yeah. So he rode through the field to the front, you know, and when Starkovich and Ditlov got to the front, Ferdino went with them. I mean, he's yeah. got a he's got a background in everything, right? He yeah. ITU raced. I know he mountain bikes and stuff. So he had the handling still skills and mm. kind of the the cojones to go with those <laughs> two guys, and they they constantly made up time on the rest of the chasers for the bike. Yeah, and it showed up, and, you know, the king is back, and, you know, on a course like that, which, you know, it's hard to say if there's a course that favors uh, for Dano because he can do it all and do it all so well, so whether or not that's a positive thing for Kona or it's just business as usual for the German, uh, I guess we're going to find out. Um, Talking about the women's side of the race, we had a new winner in Jody Stimson from England, and uh, you actually had uh, an opportunity to talk to one of the female pros uh, one-on-one with Heather Jackson. Um, what were her impressions from the from the experience? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, uh, Heather Jackson was uh, kind enough to do a, a live session with a lot of our uh, Wadi team athletes here tonight, even at five o'clock. So we got to sort of sit and, and plug in there and ask Heather a few questions about her experience in the race. And, and uh, you know, one of the first things that sort of came to light was she was really disappointed with her swim. She's been working a ton on her swim. Yeah, we saw um, those videos. She was on some of those because she was oh. down in Tucson, right? Yes, yeah, swimming with Lionel, same coach, Bear, something that they're calling him. They've been putting in a ton of time in the pool. Her swim times are way down. She's improved a ton. And then she gets out there, and she just said it was catastrophic almost, mm. really, in terms for her. She was down seven minutes and basically out of it, out of the swim. Um, you know, and she attributed that to, you know, doing everything possible and, and correctly in the pool to become a faster swimmer Mm. uh, and how that doesn't always quite equate to being a better open water swimmer. When all of a sudden you're out there, it's windy, Mm. there's chalk, you know, and your pool stroke is off and there's no black line to follow. Right. You haven't practiced practiced sighting and, and how all those things, you know, can, can add up and, and really be a detriment. So um, I know that was one of the really big things I had mentioned previously that I did a Tower 26 swim program there for a while, yep. a season or two ago. And, and that was one of the big race-ready um, modules that they did was sighting even in your pool swimming. Amazingly helpful, right? You did efforts that were similar to the start of your race where oh, nice. for, the first, for the first 100 meters you swam hard and you sighted twice every 25 meters for the first 100 then you settle in and you you sight once every twenty five meters for the next hundred, and you just get used to yeah. that that fluidity, and it helps. So, so she mentioned that. Another big thing that I thought was really interesting is, you know, I think I think especially with uh, the challenge events and this sort of, I think they've planned another four or five of these events yeah. on speedways mm-hmm. that have a swimming venue and stuff, and changing up the course from just being flat yeah and maybe just in a circle or you know where you can put your head down and apply the power um it's going to be people are going to have to train a little differently you're going to have to be adding in some anaerobic and recovery efforts over unders yeah not just that long steady effort and then how is that going to play into people that are still training for something like kona if that goes on right so 
Yeah, some different aspects for sure. Yeah, and uh, you know, in that case, perhaps uh, an ITU athlete who's kind of used to more of the changes in p- uh, speed rather and more technical courses potentially has has an advantage. I mean, it. Oh, Daytona. Daytona. Oh, no. That's that's the word I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah. yeah. But uh, not so much this time around, mind you. With the athlete who won it on the men's side, you know, we're saying yeah. what what isn't there he can't do. Yeah, and Jody Stimson, who won for the women, is from ITU background mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So, and I, you know, I think, you know, I watched, uh, we watched that triathlon life, the YouTube video with uh, uh, Paula and Eric Lagerstrom every weekend as well. Yeah. And, you know, Paula did a little bit of a thing on her breakdown of her race, and you know, I think she said she didn't, obviously, didn't feel as fit as she did when she went into Daytona. They've had a lot going on. They recently bought a house, all this kind of stuff. But if yeah. you follow their podcast, you know, they've been busy, mm. and maybe she wasn't on as good as form. But at the same time, she kind of alluded to the fact as well where the course played a big role in her not having as good of a run. Because yeah. like I said, you, you're not comfortable maintaining the speed into the corner. You're scrubbing too much speed early. And then you're accelerating out of the corner every time. And they did, what, 17 laps with four or five corners each lap. Yeah. It's almost like doing a criterium race. No, in, that's in what a lot of people racing. said, yeah. You know, you do that. Yeah, you do that over and over and over for two hours, then get off and run. Yeah. Well, that's different than just you know, kind of set the power at whatever they set it and forget yeah. it. And when they get off the bike, they run. Yeah. So um, could change the way there's some approach in training if the only races are going to happen are these sort of isolated uh, challenge events that happen at speedways. Yeah. And, you know, sooner or later, like we were saying with uh, with the other guys there, some of the folks are getting their shots now. I know that... Uh, Things are slowly returning to normal, as we we're saying. Um, the race, uh, rather the Fondo and the Okanagans ago. So, keeping our fingers crossed. Yes, for sure, for sure. I certainly hope so. Yeah, it's getting. Well, uh, it'd be nice to see what you can do after yes, a year of training. I know it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. Um, you know, interesting kind of is a catchword for if it sucks, it's a learning experience. If 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 we turn into be monsters, well, that's gonna be gratifying too. But yeah, uh, a learning well, and all the same. Well, you know, I think it's interesting. You know. I think you have to be kind to yourself even when you go back to race because watching even Challenge Daytona and Miami with the pros, uh-huh. there was the amount of mistakes that were made by pros in transition. Mm. Uh, you look at Lucy Charles going over the handlebars trying to stop herself getting into T2 because she came in too hot and then grabbed a mitt full of front brakes. <laughs> you know, people not, not able to get their shoes on and running out without their helmet. Like even the pros are making mistakes because they haven't raced in so long. A little, so, little bit rusty, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, as always, Roy, just a pleasure talking with you. A wealth of experience and even more passion. So uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, no, thank you for having me, Kevin. I really enjoy doing this. It's uh, really fun to get together. Welcome to another episode of the FitSpeak Roundtable. We had a chance to chat again with our FitSpeak co-host Kevin Watt and Abbotsford Triathlon coach Mikey Ross and see what's going on in the world of fitness. First, we check in with Kevin Watt. He talks a little bit about what he's seen in cycling recently. One thing I did see though on the in the um, cycling scene was uh, Fondo, Axel Merck's Fondo is uh, yeah. going to be happening. Uh, this year and I think they've bumped it up to somewhere into the middle of September I believe I don't have the date but uh, I think he's going to be hosting his ride for water maybe in September as well so some of the cycling events are sort of kind of coming back 
of, uh, I look at my little Strava there and I got a few Americans uh, down in the States there and full on races and um, happy to see that sort of stuff, right? Um, As coach for Abbotsford Triathlon Club, Mikey Ross needs to be on top of the latest COVID-19 policies. Here he explains the latest on that situation. And I actually contacted TriBC the, um, the, the evening that Dr. Bonnie Henry announced idea of a group of 10 and I wanted to clarify that and it was so funny because Alan Prasky had just got off the line with the his governing body who said absolutely not um, that everything is the same as it was before as far as no group uh, workouts if an individual coach wants to um, coach an individual person that's fine but no club organized activities yet but I am hopeful I actually am very hopeful that we'll be able to get back to small group workouts uh, yeah, definitely in the summer. And in addition to being the club coach, Mikey is also on the executive of the ATC, which recently just had its annual meeting and it's seen some new faces at the top. Ever since the start, Aaron Boys is continuing on uh, juggling what money we have. Um, and uh, John O'Keefe is now our president and Ricardo Opeka, a new, um, what would you call it? He's relocated from South Africa. He's beginning his life here. He's brought his wife over and he's a very enthusiastic uh, Jew athlete who is uh -huh. going to be our vice president. And I'm pinch hitting as the um, secretary until someone goes, oh, gee, I'd like to do that. So we have a functioning body. We have yes. 20 members. We went down from 60, but I've talked to other people in other clubs. There's just a lot of people that are taking a hiatus, taking a breather. Yeah you know, breathing their way through COVID. Now, one of the things that our Provincial Triathlon Association is doing to build and maintain interest in the sport is a virtual challenge between all the triathlon clubs in both Alberta and British Columbia. It's based on participation, not performance. Here, Coach Mikey explains what he's been doing for the challenge and what prizes are on the line. Either duathlons or triathlons almost every day since Monday, March 1st, because the club that gets the most total hours wins custom t-shirts from TriBC for all of the members of that club that take part. It's called the Mileage Maker. So I am submitting to them every single swim and bike and run and walk that I am doing because I would love our club to win. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've been doing fairly well in the stats. I think the last update we got from TriBC, we were, what, second or we're so? second behind that UBC club, yes. Yeah. And that's it for another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. Coming up next week on the show, another Olympian, this time from the worlds of rowing, pro cycling, and now professional triathlon. From Andorra, the well-spoken and multi-talented Cam Worth will be our guest. FitSpeak is brought to you by Wenting Cycle and Mission. Your Wenting's Word of the Week is Jasper. Once again, your Wenting's Word of the Week is Jasper. And yes, we're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. Whether you want to get faster or go farther, TriJoy can help. With our low client-to-coach ratio, we can give you the attention you deserve to achieve your potential. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. See our link at the bottom of this page. Just a reminder, we are your local go-to spot for information and inspiration. Yes, it's FitSpeak on Facebook. 
and now at Fitspeak on Instagram, your place on the internet where you can see what we've been up to, what excites us, and for you to share your story in pictures. Finally, if you're listening to us on Podbean, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, why not drop by our website to see a bit more about the program? Maybe leave us a comment on the show or ideas for future programs. For Roy McBeth, Mikey Ross, and Kevin Watts, I'm Kevin Hines. Thanks for listening.